Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Mark and Sarah talk about songs. Talk about songs. Talk about songs. Oh, yes, we do talk about those songs. This is Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs. I am your co-host, Mark Blankenship, and with me today and every day is the squidacious Sarah D. Bunting. Hello, Sarah. I actually like the sound of that. Mm. <laughs> squidacious, Grilled dude. Squid. Yeah, little octopus salad. Dude, little, that's healthy. kimchi. Yeah, with it. Sustainably harvested. Um, um Perhaps less healthy is the decision of our uh, subject today to also pursue a career in the pop music arts. How about that segue, Biches? Yes. So, Sarah, you chose the song that we are going to be discussing today. And as you've already indicated, it sure does come loaded with some stuff. Uh, What is it that you have brought to the table? Um, For episode 167, we are going to consider Julian Lennon's too late for goodbyes or far too late for goodbyes just too late for goodbyes just too late for goodbyes um it may be far too late for us to record this episode since i prepped it like a month ago and um all of my insights about it may have leaked out of my brain in the interim but uh hopefully not why don't we hear a clip and then i would love to hear your reactions to this particularly since of the two of us you are the um Beatles agnostic. Yes. Here's a clip. Some fun facts to go into this. Uh, This song reached number five. It was one of two top ten hits for Julian Lennon. They both came from his debut album, Volat. I think we may be hearing a clip from Volat later in the episode as well. Is that correct? We have one ready, if necessary. Great. Uh, So these songs were popular. As I said, Volat reached number nine after Too Late for Goodbyes reached number five. Julian Lennon earned a Best New Artist Grammy nomination for his work on this album, Lost to Sade, which is hard to argue with. And uh, then I will not. (laughs) Nope. And then he promptly evaporated into the mists of uh, cultural time, continues to make music, uh, had a few more hits in the 80s in other countries and a few minor hits here in America. But really, it was these two songs. And I guess... The question that we have to ask ourselves first is, is it possible ever to hear these songs, think about these songs, or think about Julian Lennon without thinking about John Lennon, his father? 
I think I think that it is not, and I think that that both adds and subtracts from the song. Right. Um, I mean, acknowledging that he, if this is something that he wanted to do, that he was in an impossible position. Remembering also that, and in my mind, this came out a couple of years after it actually did. This was 84, this album. Um, so seventh grade for me, sixth, seventh grade, seventh grade. Um, and f- his father had been killed not that long before. Yeah, like, like barely I, three I f- years. Yeah, I feel like for uh, for a lot of people... Um, like it, we've always lived in a world where John Lennon has been has been martyred like that that is just like the the baseline of existence but i i remember this murder occurring i remember seeing my mother crying and being uh very thrown off and disoriented by that i was 7 her mother had died Two months before that, <laughs> no tears there. That's a novella for another time. <laughs> but I mean, bless my nana's heart. But I think perhaps not all the love lost. Um, or maybe it was something my mother didn't feel she could react to, and then it came out. Mm. Um, yeah, in transference at, on this occasion, right? That it was like this passage of my younger self is easier to attach. Too. And uh, we've talked about this before that I think that sometimes the death of a uh, pop icon really o- opens some floodgates for people uh, around other grief mm-hmm. that they haven't been in touch with. All of that aside, um, that clip that we just heard was not quite one minute long and there's so little going on in it. Mm-hmm. Um I preferred this big single to Valat at the time. The peppy synth was right down my fairway back then. But there's just not... uh, There's just not a lot there. And there's also... I mean, you could provide a uh, kind of master's level reading of the way that in the lyrics he is shifting tenses even within clauses which parallels the time shifting feeling of seeing him who and he does look like his father mm-hmm. and hearing him and he sounds enough like his father some of that could be projection that it uh deepens the experience of this like time shifted um palimpsest of a breakup that he's describing but musically it's just kind of there it is fairly standard mid-80s product it's not bad but it's not like if his name were julian you know ashole (laughs) would this have reached number five i would tend to doubt it so I think that this is a a fascinating cultural artifact and I have compassion for his professional position, but as a song, it, I I just don't feel it has um, 
legs. It has not, it has not aged well. Yeah, I have to agree with you. And it's, I have compassion for the situation as well. And if somebody wants to grow up and be a musician, great, be a musician. And you have the right to be a musician, even if your father was one of the most significant musicians of the entire popular music era. Uh, yeah. And and he could have changed his name, but he can't change his face. Like, right. he fucking looks like John Lennon's kid. That's it. And the, 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 the fact is that this song, like you said, is fine. It is possessed of no particular personality or genius, but it is certainly pleasant. It does the job well of being enjoyable. Uh, but you're right. If his name had been Julian Jones, it's hard to imagine that it would have reached the top five. Or at least if it had, it would have been a song that we would have perhaps thought, oh, that's Beatles-esque, and then stopped thinking about it six months later. Uh, and it, it, this is the first episode that we have recorded of this show since I finished compl- uh, watching all of the Ken Burns country music documentary. All 16 and a half hours of it. <laughs> so get ready, by the way, for like a year of references to that documentary because it's incredible. But I'm listening to this makes me think about the segment that they did on uh, Hank Williams Jr. and Roseanne Cash. Mm-hmm. Because those two are the children of legends who went on to have successful careers of their own. And if they never eclipse their parents, well, of course they're not going to fucking do that. But Hank Williams Jr. and Roseanne Cash both have significant bodies of work. And I think that what they did that Julian Lennon doesn't do here is try to not sound like their parents. And uh, Hank Williams Jr. was playing a Southern rock style country music and Roseanne Cash was singing a California inflected folk country music that was more inspired by Emmylou Harris than it was by her own father. And those two things let them stand apart. And I think that Julian Lennon is making Beatles-esque music, but he's the son of a Beatle and it's just... Not enough. It's like how Jacob Dylan, when he was in the Wallflowers, was making God. was making kind of talky rock music that was kind of like what Bob Dylan might have been doing had he started in the nineties. And it just isn't it it's okay, but it's not great. And I think that Julian Lennon cannot escape that here. Yeah. And I think that there of the choices available to him, he made the best one, which was to like steer into it. Mm-hmm. But um, well, actually, let's hear that clip from Valat, which I, upon re-listening to it, and I don't think I'd heard it since it was on the charts. Um, I liked it a lot better than I remembered, but then I. Uh, clocked it a lot harder than I expected to. Let's hear a clip. Sitting on a pebble by the river playing guitar Wondering if we're really ever gonna get that far Do you know there's something wrong Cause I felt it Yeah. 
yeah, sorry to end it on that particular lyric. Like this is much, this is even more reminiscent of the Beatles. Um, yeah. <laughs> Seriously. I think by design. And yet the lyrics, I mean, unfortunately the Beatles were sort of like Vanguard and some of their, like some of their songs and lyrics, like they don't seem all that groundbreaking today, but it's like that time that my mother rented Citizen Kane and made us watch it. And my brother and I are like big whoop of focus pole. And my mother paused it and was like, go stand in the yard. That motherfucker invented the focus pole. Like, don't get above your raisins, speaking of, of uh, Ken Burns country music. Oh, wait, so you watched it too, because clearly you did, because that's the name oh, of the last oh, episode. Yeah, yeah um, I've watched it, but they're still all on my DVR, just so that they're nearby. Just in case. Oh, my gosh. I I should have asked you when I started gassing on about it if you had watched it too. Apologies. Oh, yeah. I watched it. I had screeners. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so good. Guys, go watch it. Um, it's It's better than us. Yeah, frankly, we're we're getting there, but it, you know, <laughs> it's good, um, and it's fascinating and dense. And I've downloaded so much music; it's it's expensive actually to watch it. As for Julian Lennon, this I just couldn't help thinking like there are some there are some nice bits in this song that I remember. Like there are some nice uh, melodic turns. Lyrically, it's sophomoric Mm. i think and i just was thinking like what if you were in a different genre Mm. like what if you weren't trying because you cannot be a vanguard even if you changed your name and look nothing like him you could you could not do what they you could not you can't re-break the ground well yeah that's and that's what i was saying like the the Hank Williams Jr. Roseanne Cash question. Like, what if Julian Lennon yeah. had pushed his way into electro dance or something? Like, oh just, my God. I mean, like, to his credit, yeah. Sean Lennon, to his credit, has spent his entire career making experimental noise rock, which I don't want to listen to, but you know what? Good on you. And what what was the band that he was in, not Shonen Knife? Uh, Ghost of a Sabretooth Tiger? No. Or Power Windows? He's been in like seven bands. Yeah, that's true. Listeners, feel free to add us. I feel like there's one that was like, it was on the Buffy soundtrack and it's very obvious. He may just have played on like a couple of tracks. Anyway, doesn't matter. Claypool, Delirium, um, some, anyway, there's so many. Yeah, but he, I think, was in the same position and made a different choice that was also, I think, the best option available to him at the time, particularly since like they have different moms and his mom like he can't like sean ono lennon can't be like okay well i'm gonna go full avant-garde and like and his mom's like uh (laughs) (laughs) hold my beer upside down i'm trying to make a point (laughs) about the transitory nature of liquids like can't we just have a conversation i'm too busy drawing what the wind sounds like so okay like uh, i'm just gonna scream in your face for exactly 21.3 minutes oh. <laughs> neat you can time me on this egg timer that is molded from my uterus yeah <laughs> i call it a u timer <laughs> jesus i mean poor yoko she didn't break up the beatles ps that's <laughs> oh oh my god me. can we like We've got to be historically finished with that misogynistic bullshit, right? Like, 
the myth of yeah. the woman who breaks up the boys club don't come for me don't come for well, me today well i love how they'll be like you're right it was actually linda like it was not, it was not it was, it was that they were fucking 20 20 somethings with more money than god and more influence than god who did a bunch of drugs and started fighting with each other that's it it's not that difficult i think that this conversation is so very much underlining our point that julian lennon is so easy to forget about <laughs> it's like <laughs> Well, I'm I mean, actually we're way over here on like novelty uterine egg timers, <laughs> Thanksgiving at Yoko's. What was it initially? What if, if you... Roseanne Cash played jazz? <laughs> like anything to avoid talking about how little there is to say about Vlad. Do you remember Sorry, what it was initially that made you want to talk about his songs? No. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your honesty today. It has really, been recorded in the good book. Not done, I think that we had not done a like mid eighties thing mm-hmm. in a while, or it seemed like we hadn't. And I was like, I also enjoy um, picking out songs that like they were definitely the conversation, and then they definitely were not. Yes, and I am very interested in why songs endure or why they don't. Yeah, like songs that were everywhere and then are nowhere to be found. Yeah, like these don't even make like, you know, synthy, like dance party. These songs don't make the compilations anymore even. Along those lines, to take it even further away from our initial subject, this has been a year of critical reevaluations of Hootie and the Blowfish because it's the 25th anniversary of their album Cracked Review. And it's been fascinating to read that, and it's correct, like whenever anyone writes a an article about the music of the 90s or a CNN does a special on the music of the 90s, Hootie and the Blowfish does not get mentioned despite having sold, I think that it was one of the three or four best-selling albums of the whole decade. They were, yeah. they were completely inescapable. But no, yeah. it, now it's like it never happened. And there's this low rumbling attempt to make people reappreciate Hootie and the Blowfish. And they have had a successful reunion tour. And Darius Rucker was a, has had a really successful country career. But right. it is so interesting that, like you were just saying, Hootie and the Blowfish was everywhere. And now they don't even make the compilations anymore. Well, and that could, that could be why. Um, and it'll be... It'll be interesting to see how this evolves like in another 20 or 25 years when we're talking about like songs that nobody talks about anymore because the way that we as an entire culture are experiencing the same songs is not right. a thing. But, you know, um, the, the other best-selling album of the 90s are, uh, uh, that was out at this same time was Jagged Little Pill and no fucking body has ever stopped talking about that album. It's just so interesting. Episode 170, y'all. Coming soon. Spoiler. But it's just so interesting the way that certain songs ultimately lack the spiky personality or the memorable personality to be retained. And I think that your point about the proximity of these songs to John Lennon's death is so important when considering why they succeeded. Well, or why they weren't why they weren't braced harder mm-hmm. by the culture because the the fact is like they're just a little they're like not quite there they yeah. need another going over and you have to wonder 
Like, w- was this process begun in... 1981 was this process begun in 1983 like where where were we in the life cycle of kid gloves handling of this person who was his own person but you know is not going to have the luxury of being judged or edited the same way julian jones would Right. So that's an interesting question. Um, I hope he's content and doing his thing. And maybe he's just like a sessions guy now. He seemed like he would be content to just be like, yeah, I'll fill in on piano. Like, good for him. Are there any other children of famous musicians that we can think of who went on to have significant careers of their own? I mean, obviously, Debbie Boone had the one hit. Nancy yeah. Sin- Nancy Sinatra had one perfect song in mm-hmm. These Boots Were Made for Walking and then that icky duet with her own father or something oh, stupid. That is so gr- it's so gross. But it's I- so gross. But I don't think anybody's over here trying to front like Jacob Dylan has uh really matched his father or I yeah, I hope he invested wisely cuz mm. And like yeah, I don't know. I it's it no one immediately springs to mind, honestly. I mean, Whitney Houston yeah. obviously surpassed her mother, but her mother was never a huge star. So anyway. Yeah. I mean, I I give him a lot of credit for trying. Yeah. I, again, think he made the best choices he could. But unfortunately, I think that his particular brand of pop, especially coming out when it did, mm-hmm. is is not something that's going to endure it's going to be just a like not a novelty i don't think it's that insignificant but it's just not it doesn't have that sustain mm-hmm. maybe <sighs> if he'd been uh, mccartney maybe i mean stella now now that's using your noggin yeah Whew. she went ahead like, it. can't sing won't sing fuck you but and i will charge 575 dollars for a vegan leather clutch who amongst put, us put that in your porcelain <laughs> uterus and smoke it oh. no i won't <laughs> oh and it, it's only too perfect that our final reference of the day is not at all about julian lennon Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Mark Blankenship and Sarah D. Bunting and edited by Sarah D. Bunting. That's me. Need to talk to Mark and Sarah about song requests, ads, or birthday readings? Email us at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com, tweet us at talksongs, or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. To become a supporter and producer of the podcast, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash mastass. And as always, thank you for listening.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.